You are listening to Geek Fest Rants on the IC Robots Radio Network. You have located Geek Fest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. This is Mon Mothma. I have an assignment for you. The rebellion needs you, and we don't have much time. You must work together. You must not fail. In disguise, your team's mission is to recover Imperial intelligence critical to our survival. like you'll have to fight your way out. What is that? This could be a threat to our entire existence. everybody and welcome once again to GeekFest Rants. My name is Carlos Barone and today we are going to be talking about virtual reality in terms of Star Wars Secrets of the Empire. This new virtual reality experience that they have at Disney Springs, which if you would never have done a virtual reality ride like I had never done one before, you're probably going to find this very, very interesting. It takes you through a story and there's a narrative that you follow and you are experiencing a secret mission that you go on with a couple of other players and you go through all these different phases to see if you can accomplish the mission. Now, like I said, this is all virtual reality, so it's kind of like a video game, but you are actually physically moving through actual space. So it is very different and something that I've never done before that uh, I really, really hope everybody has a chance to try. The other thing we're going to do today is talk about Star Wars cases. This is something that really people don't sell anymore, whether it's Star Wars or whatever the heck it is that you're collecting these days. There was a period in time where they used to sell specially made cases to collect all your action figures. Well, I'm going to talk about a little bit about all the different ones that were available, you know, for the all of the original vintage Star Wars. And believe it or not, they were actually more than you probably think they were. Uh, I actually owned a few and currently own a few. So we're going to explore some of that. So let's begin with Secrets of the Empire. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin direct via satellite from our on-the-spot task force. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Thank you, Bob. It's Mort, the 
Mark, yes. I am Ted Baxter, and here is the news. All right, I want to talk about a new... It's not a theme park. It's called an experience, a virtual reality experience having to do with Star Wars. The full name of it is Star Wars Secrets of the Empire, and which is an ILM, X-Lab, and The Void collaboration, which is basically a, an immersive virtual reality experience. It's not really even a ride. You don't ride anything. What this is is a gaming kind of experience, if you will. You don't score points, you go on a mission and to see if you succeed on the mission. Now, odds are everybody succeeds on the mission because it's a, it's kind of like a ride, but you don't really get on a ride. So it's kind of weird to explain, but the way this works is you go to a certain location and you put on certain gear and you walk through this area while you're wearing all the virtual reality gear so that it feels like you're doing everything. The way that this is encapsulated is obviously through Star Wars. And the storyline kind of that you're experiencing is that you're going on a secret mission. You're pretending to be a stormtrooper in disguise. And you are looking for a certain weapon, a secret new weapon that the Empire has that our job is to steal it. Now, this is located, for me at least, in Disney. It's at Disney Springs in Orlando, and the exact location is, if you are familiar with Disney Springs, which used to be downtown Disney, the Once Upon a Time toy store, uh, the back end of the store is closed, and they converted it into this attraction. To get there, you have to walk around Once Upon a Toy, to the left side, let's say, and there is an entrance there. It's kind of, I mean, to me, it felt like it was kind of hidden, it was kind of like not very attractive <laughs> that you kind of had to know it was there to go and do it i wish there was more of a fanfare about it but i guess in a way i guess you know it keeps the numbers down a little bit but most people i think i could be wrong are, are book this you know online that's how i did it you know i found out about it online obviously and for a while my son kept talking about oh we, we got to go do this thing it's new star wars thing it's like, like yeah i was like yeah, yeah 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 it's 30 bucks a person so that was something off the bat that i was like oh 30 dollars for a quick little experience. See, Disney used to have something called Disney Quest that I've never been on it, but I've always remember seeing it. And it was a building of just, I guess, video games and and some kind of virtual reality, possibly rides or something like that. But from what I understand, it was kind of like a money loser. Not a lot of people were going in there. It cost uh, quite a bit of money to get in, I believe. I forget how much it was, but it was it was expensive for a, a couple of hours worth of you know, indoor fun, if you will. I guess that's the thinking behind it originally was that, well, you know, if it's raining, everybody comes in here or goes into the movies. Yeah, I get that, especially Disney Springs. You know, you have a movie theater there also. But that closed down. I never had a chance to go in it, and I didn't really, didn't really care much about it. You know, for me, visiting Orlando, visiting Disney, it's all about the parks. So, you know, and I don't even bother with the water parks. I was all about, and I'm still all about the actual theme parks. But anyway, we have now this new thing that's out there. And, you know, I'm not a gamer. I was never into gaming. You know, I have my my, my Atari phase back <laughs> in the 80s. And I was, I think I was given some games as gifts, some platforms. I think I had a 
Genesis, a Sega Genesis. I could be wrong. I think that's what it was. And it came with one game. And I think I never even bought extra games. I just had one game because, I, again, I've never been into it. Uh, I've never been into computer games and stuff like that. I do remember owning X-Wing Commander or X-Wing something for the PC. And I actually had a joystick for it because it was Star Wars, you know. But don't get me wrong. Tons of Star Wars games have come out since then. Tons. The quality a million times better. And I never really jumped on the, the gaming bandwagon. My son, on the other hand, he's gone through the uh, Xbox, the PS2, PS3, PS whatever. I don't even know what number they're up to now. Four or five. I don't know. Uh, the Wii. You know, he's had uh, Nintendo DSs. So my son has been more of a casual gamer, not a hardcore gamer. Uh, but to me, I kind of link, you know, when I heard about this, I'm like, yeah, well, I guess it's like a video game. You know, I'm not into video games, but... Recently, we had a chance, uh, you know, my son was visiting from college and it was like, you know what, we're going to do, I was taking a day off from work just to be with him. So I said, you know what, let's go to Disney Springs and then we go to Disney and let's do like a Father Sunday and you and I will do the, the virtual experience. He was super happy about it. So the way this works is you go into this location. Obviously, you, you get the tickets ahead of time and you walk into this little lobby area. It's decorated, minimally decorated, nothing too crazy, not, nothing theme park-esque about it. It's a small kind of area the lobby and you have these little like iPad devices where you register and you, you register if you obviously if you pre-bought tickets unless you're buying tickets there on the spot which you might or might not get you know to ride it right away because there's a lot of reservations that take place uh, so we 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 registered they they gave us a little little wristband spits out a wristband and you get online you know we had 11 o'clock reservations and you, you, you step into this little hallway and you get online with a group of people that are already there. I would say there were probably about 10, 12 people altogether at that particular time. And they all have their wristbands and they're all lining up. Uh, so we, we waited there for, I would say, maybe about 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. And then from there, they bring you inside into another room. And this is all like a series of rooms. Now, once you step inside, it's a little darker area. It's a lot, you know, the ceilings are painted black. Everything is dark. So you go into this next area. And um, just like in the initial area, uh, they're playing a video uh, telling you, you know, like a promotional video, uh, which is the video I'm going to include, you know, as part of this uh, posting. And it, it, it's, you know, it's a secret mission. And this is what you're supposed to do. And, you know, get ready with your friends and everybody's all happy and stuff and that sort of thing. Um, then when you walk into that second area, it is more of a video about how to get the gear on, how to help get the gear on. Now, obviously, the assistants in there are helping everybody get the gear on. And they're breaking you into groups of four. So once you have a group of four ready, they bring you into the gear area, if you will. Now, as you're waiting for this breakup to happen, you know, this could take another five minutes, let's say, you know, of more, you know, shoveling groups of four this way, shoveling groups of four that way. They kind of spread you out so that you're not all clustered in the same area. And I don't know exactly how many of these gear areas are being run at the same time. And I don't know how many of the full-blown experiences are running at the same time. You know, Disney always has, you know, they, they always have a way, just like all theme parks, of, of a, you know, they cycle you in. They cycle you to part one and then People are waiting to go to part one. You move to part two, people walk into part one. So there's always a, a cycle of people moving in and out. But I'm not entirely sure there might be actually two full-blown areas. Because I remember when they were shuffling you to one side, a group of four people were going in one direction, a group of four people were going in another direction. And they did not all seem to be 
coming back to the same area. I could be completely wrong. But anyway, as we're in there, you know, getting ready to be shuffled into the dress-up area, if you will, they're showing us another video of how to put the gear on, you know, how to attach the helmet, how to attach the vest, and all the different uh, straps and clasps that you have to do, you know, to be ready. So, they bring us into this main room now, where all the gear is attached to the wall or hanging from the ceiling, you know, through these um, uh, levers and uh, crane type of devices. So, you back up into the, uh, into the wall and you put on the vest over your head when it covers your chest and your back. Then you take the helmet from another hanging device and you put that on your head the chest you strap on everything you tighten it to you know to your fit uh the helmet same thing you put on the helmet that covers basically from your nose all the way around your head and down to your ear so it's kind of like a it reminded me of a gi joe helmet <laughs> you know it, it encompasses your ears the back of your head top of your head and all that stuff and you adjust the tightness even on the head you know, you have to have it a certain tightness. You adjust the volume of what you want to hear, you know, in your ears. And same thing with the chest pieces. The chest pieces are all, you know, ready to go. And at this point, you don't get any weapons or anything. This is just your gear and you're kind of getting used to how to operate it. And keep in mind that the gear, you know, it is especially the, the chest piece and the back piece, it's almost like a little backpack that you're wearing. It's it's some serious technology that you have on you. And I remember at first I was like, what's the point of so much gear? You know, how much exactly are we getting out of this? Anyway, you're ready to go and you walk into another room now. However, once you walk into that room, you stand behind a little console. Again, I think it was kind of like an iPad-ish kind of device. I'm not entirely sure. And a huge monitor in front of you and a huge monitor behind you with another group. So this is kind of where they bring back another group in. Uh, now, this could have been the other group that went the other way, or this just could have been the next group right ready to go in. Uh, I, again, I don't exactly know if they run two of these. I think it might be a little too expensive to run two full sets. So anyway, you have two, you know, two sets. Okay, great. So... We have this huge monitor in front of us that all four of us, because it's groups of four, you know, I was there with Kyle and then there were two other people that it was a group of two. So perfect. Those two were part of our group and uh, we're all watching, you know, with our gear and we're watching the presentation. The presentation uh, at first is trying to figure out, you know, to get used to your gear. Uh, so you select a certain color for your pauldron. So you kind of know. Because obviously all the stormtroopers look identical, so you had to kind of figure out a way of selecting a color. Now, unfortunately, one of the problems is that it is possible that you could select the same color the guy next to you selected. Or you could have all four people wearing a blue pauldron, so you're like, which is which? So, luckily, we, we only had one repetitive color. But here's what's really interesting. The group that was with us, there was another, I think, father-son team. And the, um, uh, the son was much younger. He was much shorter. So once you designate your color and you're figuring it out and you start to actually see what you look like, you know, through your, through your visor, because your visor is down now and you're, you're actually watching everything. Uh, you see yourself as a stormtrooper. You know, you're, you're kind of looking at yourself in a mirror. I think, I don't know if you're looking at a mirror or you're looking at everybody's representations and you start to see that, okay, everybody's got a different pauldron over there on the big screen. And then the kid, the younger kid, he's a small stormtrooper. So that was really cool because I think we had a repetitive color. And I was worried that we were going to start getting confused with the, you know, with the repetitive color. But because the kid was smaller, shorter, 
even though he had the same pauldron as one of the other ones, it was obviously, well, that's the kid. <laughs> that's the smaller one. Now, we could all hear each other. The headgear, like I mentioned, allows you to talk amongst all four of us amongst our team, and you're also getting the audio from the experience, the instructions you're getting from other characters, you know, completely virtual reality characters and that sort of thing. I believe at one point we do walk into a room where there's a K2SO full size, but it's kind of there solid, as opposed to later when you actually see him moving around. But anyway, once we have all our designations, we watch this short film presentation and Cassian from Rogue One is there uh, letting you know that, you know, you're going on this mission and you're going undercover into an Imperial facility to recover an artifact that is very important to, you know, winning the war, let's say. And you have two additional people that are going to help you. One of them is K2SO. He's going to help you through the mission you know, as an assistant to us. And there's a pilot that's going to fly us there. His name is Athics. Now, from what I understand, the pilot's voice is by Sam Whitward, which is a, a very well-known uh, animated Star Wars uh, voice actor. And the voice for K2SO is by Alan Tudyk, who did the voice, you know, during Rogue One. The planet that we're actually going is Mustafar. So that's interesting. Now, during this briefing, we also kind of learned that Cassian's codename is Fulcrum, which is interesting because, you know, we are familiar with the name Fulcrum through Rebels. This was Ahsoka Tano's secret code name, you know, as a rebel during the series. So I guess that's a name that gets passed around a lot. So as he's briefing us and he's telling us about the mission, all of a sudden, you know, he has to leave because, you know, you kind of get interference and, and you hear blaster fire and all of a sudden he is attacked by a group of obviously imperials that are coming into that area so we're off to our on our mission and he's you know he gets away because this is taking place before rogue one and obviously after revenge of the sith so this is supposed to be canon you know this this little play that we're doing this particular mission and the things we learn are canon according to you know what people are saying so what you have to understand about this virtual reality thing is that if you think of a virtual reality game if you're used to the gaming scenarios where, for example, you're sitting at home watching your TV playing a video game and you might have some kind of an interaction with your joystick, let's say, or whatever controller you're using or whatever gun you're holding, where you will get some vibrations on the gun. I remember, I think it was the Wii that had one of the first type of reactions on the controllers, at least that I'm from, I was familiar with that I've ever had to experience, where you would do something and your joystick would shake a little bit, you know, depending on which ones you were using. With virtual reality, as a gamer, I imagine that is probably the most you're going to get these days in terms of your environment being able to give you uh, some kind of a sensation other than the visuals. You know, you can put on a helmet anytime you want, I guess, these days, or goggles or something, and see something new. But this is a little different because what happens here is that not only are you getting your visual cues from the helmet that you're wearing and your audio cues from the headphones that are inside the helmet, but the helmet itself, it's kind of, I don't want to say tight, but it's pretty snug on your head so that when things happen, such as impact, for example, blaster fire hits you, you sometimes feel your head a little you know, a little, little slight little jolt, a little vibration on the head because the helmet reacts to it. But more important, your chest piece and your back piece, your little backpack that you're wearing, not only is it full of, I guess, electronics and all kinds of gear that help the game work, but it also interacts with you in terms of feeling shudder and shakes 
And depending on the impact that you're feeling, whether from an explosion or from blaster fire, you will feel these little jolts of being, you know, hit with something. So the mission begins by we're all on a, on a ship. And uh, like I said, K2SO is, is, is uh, flying the ship and we are approaching Mustafar to uh, like a landing platform. And in the distance, you can see Vader's castle back over there. And our mission is to, again, uh, retrieve an artifact that is hidden somewhere in there. So as we land, we're all in full gear and we can all see each other. So now, for example, if I turn to the right, I could see Kyle. But obviously, I see a stormtrooper, but I hear Kyle through the stormtrooper, you know, communication uh, sound effects. And, you know, at first, you just, I just wanted to kind of get used to things because what you're doing is you're walking through different rooms. And these rooms, obviously, you never really see what they look like because you're wearing the, but, but you could kind of take a peek. You know, you kind of lift the helmet a little bit and look down and you could see these are black rooms, nothing special about them, but they do resemble whatever environment you're on as far as textures. So for example, if you are in a room with a wall to your right, you can touch the wall and you stick your hand, you could feel the wall. Now you're feeling basically a smooth wall, but you're seeing a very detailed wall. So the rooms you enter resemble the areas you're at as far as how much you could reach and feel around. There's a point where there's a droid right next to you, like a little astromech. And you look down and you see an astromech and you, and all of a sudden, you know, you reach out, I reach out and I'm close enough to it and I can feel it. I'm like, holy crap, there's an actual astromech here. So yes, there is the, the structure of an astromech, but it might not necessarily be exactly what you're seeing. So for example, I would also reach out and touch Kyle's face, the stormtrooper. And because he's wearing this huge helmet, I'm feeling the helmet, you know, that he's wearing. And it's kind of like, you know, it's not exactly a stormtrooper. But you kind of, you feel that. Now, granted, if I touch his chest, I could feel the the gear he's wearing. So it does feel like a stormtrooper. But if I were to touch his arm or his leg, obviously there's no gear there. So it would feel fleshy, (laughs) but you look like you're touching armor. So that's something you got to kind of get used to. Now, granted, you know, the the game is not made so everybody starts touching each other. (laughs) That's kind of weird. But it is an initial reaction that you have, at least I had, of... Wow, how real is this? How real is this environment? So, you know, I was kind of touching walls and stuff. And, you know, I was trying. Obviously, I'm not touching the other players. I don't know these people. I don't want to freak them out. But I know Kyle was right there. So I'm constantly touching Kyle. Trying to freak. Ooh, look at that. There's the backpack. Okay, this is the back of the Stormtrooper. But anyway, so you land in Mustafar. And all of a sudden, a door opens up. And K2SO says, go, 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 go. So we cross this little bridge from the ship to a little floating kind of platform that takes us to the lava. And as I'm crossing the bridge, we are all walking. We are physically walking. You cannot stay behind. So we're going from a, in reality, we're going from a room down a hallway into another room. But what we're seeing is we're walking through this very narrow bridge type of structure connecting us to the platform. And as I'm walking, I'm kind of balancing myself because, you know, you walk another six inches to the left or to the right, and you're going to fall into the lava. Now, obviously, the thing is, I, I didn't try purposely falling into the lava, but I did feel a sense of balance issues in terms of, holy crap, I better walk straighter. I'm going to screw things up or fall or something. So you do get this slight vertigo feeling as you're moving through these very narrow areas where you look down and it's it's a very 
It's a long drop into lava. So once we're on the platform, all four of us are at the platform and we're all kind of like, you know, again, these platforms are very small on purpose. You know, the platform takes off and I could have swore, I don't remember exactly, but I could have swore people mentioning that you do feel the heat of the lava everywhere and you do feel the wind kind of rushing because that platform is moving really fast. And as the platform is moving really fast, I'm kind of, again, balancing myself because I'm feeling a little, uh, not nauseous, but a little unbalanced, you know, a little, a little bit of vertigo going on here. And I wonder, you know, if the other people felt the same way. So once that platform reaches where we're going, the entrance of the building, we walk into an area that is kind of like an elevator. Now, as we're getting close, we are seeing stormtroopers, but so far everything's cool. You know, we're all wearing our gear. So they all recognize us as other stormtroopers. They're not very suspicious of these, you know, these other stormtroopers walking around. We walk into the uh, the building, we step into an elevator, and one of the things we're prompted uh, by K2SO is to uh, hit the lever so that the elevator goes down to where we need to go. So we're all looking around, and yeah, it looks like a set. It looks like a Star Wars set, an Imperial set. You know, the decorations, the colors, the walls, everything. And in one wall, I noticed there's this lever, like a up and down kind of lever. So I kind of reach to it. Because they're telling us to pull the lever and, you know, I'm thinking, well, this is virtual reality. How am I going to pull a lever? There's no lever. So when I, I reach to it, I'm actually feeling there is an actual lever there. I could see my, that's the other thing is that when you reach up, you see your own arms and your hands as stormtroopers. So that's really interesting. That is something that was a little clunky at times because sometimes if you reach too far, too fast, the stormtrooper hand catches up to you. So you got to kind of do things at a, at a kind of like a normal pace. It is possible to trick the game, if you will, into not being as fast as you. But anyway, I reach and I try to feel the wall and I do feel a lever. So I grab the, I grab the lever. I pull it up, and as I'm pulling the lever up, I can feel my hand gripping a lever, pulling up, and in the virtual world, I can see my stormtrooper hand pulling the lever, activating the this the, uh, the elevator, and all of a sudden, you know, we get a little bit of a, I guess we get a little bit of a jolt here or there, and we feel it going down, or, you know, we, we you see that we're going down levels, down levels, down levels. Now, granted, it's hard to kind of remember every single feeling. Because a lot of it, I have a feeling, is just your imagination because of the virtual reality environment. Did I really feel a jolt? Possible. Maybe the jolt wasn't so much the floor, but maybe it would, the jolt is what we're getting through our chest plates and our backpack and our head. You know, these feelings, these jolts that are moving around, things being blown up or things being moved, it's part of the gear we're wearing that is making us feel that. Obviously, we're hearing all kinds of noises because, you know, they, they give us the soundtrack of the, you know, the factory or whatever it is that we're in and this manufacturing facility or you know, mining facility. So, okay, so we're going down, we're going down, we're going down. And right as we are about to exit the elevator, we're in the bottom, all of a sudden the alarms go off and we hear, I believe, like an announcement saying, you know, there's rebels in the building or an infiltration in the building. So we know that we've been discovered. I think K2SO even says, oh, you've been discovered. Here's some weapons. So we're handed weapons. And I, I'm not entirely sure, but I think K2SO hands us the weapons in virtual reality. But in reality, there's an actual assistant there from the game, you know, from the, from the ride, if you will, <laughs> handing us these weapons. Now, the blasters don't look exactly like blasters in real life, but... When we look at them in virtual reality, they look like it. And the blasters are also encoded with that kind of shock and vibration features where 
it also reacts to other things happening to it. Not only do you fire, you can use it as a blaster, and you know, you do have some firing response that happens when you press the trigger. But also, when other people hit you, it also responds in that way. You do get a little jolt, just like the backpack, just like the headset. So, as we are moving along here, K2SO is telling us, okay, go down this hallway, go down that hallway. So, we're going to go down this hallway over here. We also have to kind of figure out, okay, who goes first? You know, do you want to go first or should I go first? You know, we go through all that a lot. You know, okay, we kind of figure out, okay, you two go first, then we go. So there's a little mouse droid. We follow, start following the mouse droid. And we enter this other area now where we encounter a lot of stormtroopers in like a higher up uh, bridge type of an area. It's it's very reminiscent uh, a little bit to the Death Star in terms of all these different uh, locations and, and, and levels where you see different people. But here you have, I believe, if I remember right, uh, a couple of stormtroopers that start shooting at us. So we start shooting back at the stormtroopers. And, you know, they're appearing from both sides and we're shooting at them. All four of us are shooting at the same time. And yeah, like I mentioned earlier, we hit them, they die, they go down, we get hit. Obviously, we don't really die. I don't think this game will let you die because then it screws up the game. But you do feel being hit, you know, the slight pressure of blaster fire hitting you. But eventually, after a few seconds, you know, you defeat them. And it brings us to another area. Another door opens and it's like, okay, go this way. Okay, so we go that way. And this area now brings us to kind of like an outside location where we're still kind of in the building, but we're it's almost like a balcony kind of area. But we do see all of a sudden troopers, outside troopers that are near the lava. There's a trooper, I believe, in, in a platform that's shooting at us and another couple of troopers. So we're, we're again, we start to engage in blasting troopers that are outside. And I think, again, I could be wrong, but I think... I think this is another one of these heated areas because the the lava is there. We start to feel the, like the, the the wind and the lava, the heat from it. So we start shooting at them, and then after a while, you know, the the troopers kind of start dwindling down, and all of a sudden these creatures start coming out of the lava. They're like these giant bug things, and you know, start shooting these big bugs, and then there's a gigantic one, a massive one that starts to come towards us, and we're shooting at it and. I don't know if we're getting any headway with this creature. And eventually, I think we end up shooting it down. But it splashes lava on our area and it hits like a wall or something. And I think that kind of gives us the entrance into another area now that we go. In that area, a K2SO disables another droid that looks just like him and tells us to, you know, keep going this way. And we're almost at that area that, that where their mission is, where, you know, we've almost reached the, the place where this hidden... Uh, artifact is that but in order to get to that we have to do this code on the wall there's like a panel so again it's kind of like earlier on where if you touch the wall you start to feel the buttons that you're seeing so what it really is is a simon says kind of code and it took a while for us to kind of figure it out and then to actually play it right because we kept, i kept forgetting you know that the combination so k2so will say all right try this and you see like Red button, blue button, yellow button, green button. You have blue, yellow, green, bum, bum, and good. Now try this. So you have to do, I think, three different combinations. And we kept getting some of them wrong. And after a while, they I think what happens is they make it so easy that they just want you to move on to the next part. Because we kept forgetting the code and we different people were trying it. So we get through that section and now we're in the actual room where... You know, this artifact is kept and we see it and then we see a droid that grabs it like a flying droid and it starts to fly up, 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 up into this other 
multi-level, similar to that first one that had one, I think it had one level, but now you have like four different levels and all kinds of little cubby holes here or there, full of stormtroopers and huge firefight between us and the stormtroopers and different levels and they're shooting up, they're shooting down, we're shooting up, we're hiding in the corner, we, we can hide. That's the other thing is that these different rooms we're walking into, you know, every wall is represented, every wall we can feel and touch, it is there physically for real. So we can kind of get behind the wall come out of the wall, shoot. But obviously, if you step in and out of the wall, you're going to block your own vision. So you have to kind of compensate for that and and decide, all right, we have four people here. There's, I don't know, 10 stormtroopers. All right, so you three concentrate. You know, I'm going to shoot the ones on the top. You shoot the ones on the bottom. You shoot the ones in the middle. You have to kind of coordinate. This way, you don't get clobbered. So we defeat those stormtroopers now, and we get our pilot shows up to help us. And he's there to open the box. So he walks over ahead, you know, into the background, let's say, area, you know, a little further from us. And he opens the box, you know, he opens the the, the secret weapon or whatever that thing is. And uh, it's funny because when I first saw him, I just didn't realize he was, I thought he was just another stormtrooper. So I start shooting at it and people are like, my guys are like, no, no. And Kyle's like, dad, that he's with us. Don't shoot him. Oh, okay. I already shot him like 10 times. But obviously, you can't, they don't let you kill your own guy because it screws up the game. So it's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> so he goes through, you know, his motions and he goes in and opens the box and he pulls out this, what I now know is called a proto saber. And what it is, it's supposed to be one of the earliest uh, lightsabers, let's say. And the way that it looks, it's, um, I'm going to include a picture in the uh, in the art that, that I do in the, uh, you know, when I post this. But it's, uh, it's kind of like a dual-bladed lightsaber, but not Darth Maul dual-bladed in opposite directions. It's dual-bladed in the same direction. And instead of a traditional electronic, futuristic, sci-fi hilt, it has a more of a traditional hilt that has no electronics inside, you know, with the little side things to kind of keep the blades off. And it all points in the same direction. Two blue blades pointing in that same direction. So this is the secret weapon that, uh, you know, we're talking about. But then all of a sudden, he starts to struggle with the sword, like the sword is moving on its own, this saber, and it flies off his hands in, down a tunnel, down a, a dark corridor. And all of a sudden, you start to hear the Vader breathing. But where... A red blade comes up, and now Vader has his blade, and he starts deflecting shots from us because he starts coming towards us. So Vader has, he took the secret weapon away from Athex, and we're all shooting. Athex is shooting, everybody's shooting at Vader. Vader takes his sword, his red lightsaber, throws it at Athex and kills him, and then gets the saber back and continues to deflect all of our bolts as he's doing this. And little by little, he's gaining on us. He's coming closer and closer and closer, and we know there's no way we're going to beat Vader. But at the last second, K2SO crashes our ship into that area and tells us to get in and get out fast. So we all get in, we get in, we get in, we get in. And just as Vader is coming to get us, close the door, we fly away. He throws the uh, ship into hyperdrive and we are out of there safe and sound. And that's the end of the experience. I would say the total duration of once we're inside... I would say is maybe 15 minutes. It's a pretty short ride, if you think about it. But I'm telling you, it is worth every penny of it. I have never experienced anything like this. The whole thing took about an hour, I would say. Because by the time we got there, by the time we checked in, by the time we moved through the first line, second line, 
put your gear on, go through the debriefing portion of what your mission is, do the mission and come out. It took almost about an hour, maybe 45 minutes to an hour. Like I said, it's worth every minute of it. I have not had any virtual reality experience before this. So I guess maybe I'm a little too easily amazed by it. If you guys have tried it, you know, at home with some of the gaming gear, this might not be that amazing, but something tells me it is as amazing as I think it is. I always remember that with Disney, one of the things that always uh, surprised me the most was their use of 3D. A lot of their rides in the past that were using 3D and I would come to Disney and do, whether it's something silly like the Filler Magic or Star Tours, you know, anything 3D related, I would always say, man, I wish we could see movies in this, you know, the technology is there. Why can't they just shoot movies this way? It'd be so much more fun. And when they did start doing it with Avatar, I was like, yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I still do. I still love the 3D format. Unfortunately, that seems to be dwindling and dwindling, especially in the home market. The home video market is practically dead. But it was always a very innovative way of getting this new technology and to get to experience it for the first time. That for me, this is the first time I've experienced virtual reality. And it's always been that whole thing about, yeah, well, how much can you really feel when you're in an area that you don't really get that much interactivity? I think this is a great way of doing it. Hopefully there will be different ways. You know, here, the best thing about it is the fact that you have to physically move. Your body is in motion. You're entering rooms, exiting rooms. Granted, you can't go on a run. They don't want you running, you know, five minutes in one direction because the area has to be so big for you to be able to do that kind of traveling. This is a combination of probably five rooms, I think, that you end up going in and out of, five, maybe six. It's a small area. It's a very small area when you think about it. But the interactivity is just so well done, you know, between what you're feeling, between what you're imagining, I think, what you're seeing, and your body's reaction to the actual real environment, it's a combination of all these things happening at once. The only difference I remember, and I was trying to figure out this, I was watching Ready Player One, which is all about virtual reality. And one of the tricks to Ready Player One, and I'm sure it's in the book, I imagine, is that in order to get that physical sensation of moving and running and walking, they use these kind of treadmills that are uh, multi-directional. So it's not like a normal treadmill that you go forward. They use these weird treadmills that go in all different directions. They go left, right, front, back, you know, in every direction. So you can uh, be in a situation, be in a, be in a controlled environment that's kind of small and run and walk in multi-directions at any speed, you know, without having to worry about, you know, the issue of distance, to have your body be able to do that. So I think, you know, I would imagine that would be the next step in virtual reality is, is more physical exertion from your body to simulate the reality of what's taking place around you. But psychologically, I think this kind of hits a lot of good points. You know, you do feel these things. Obviously, when you start throwing what would be considered four-dimensional or fifth-dimensional elements, you know, you could splash water on people, you could put wind on people, you could turn the heat up, make it cold, make it hot, you know, do all kinds of little tricks like that. You know, maybe uh, you have a scene where papers are flying, well, blow some leaves into people's face or blow some debris, you know, some uh, uh, little paper so you can actually even feel things hitting your body. That's all part of it. So that is really, really interesting. 
So my overall recommendation could not be high enough. Uh, it's a, like I said, the price is a little steep. Uh, next time around, I'm going to have my wife and my daughter try it. This way they get to experience what we did. And like I said, it's groups of four. It's, it's great if you have a, you know, four people. And it's the type of thing where like the first time you're just getting kind of used to everything, how it works. And you're going to want to go a second time to really play the game strategically. You want to actually, you know, even though the game is automatically, uh, you're always going to win, but you want to get kind of get better at it and, and try out different things. Because a lot of the times I was just like fascinated by the rooms and, and doing the interaction part of the game. That was, you know, I was more interested instead of the firefights, the interaction, the scientific, psychological interactions between even characters and environments. That was more up my alley, but the, the firefights are great. Like I said, everything is built to replicate what is happening. Everything, your helmet, your chest piece, your backpack, and your gun, it all functions in that manner. So 100% recommend if you have a chance, I believe there's a California one, uh, Orlando, I think there was or there is still a London one that's uh, might have expired already but whenever you get a chance and I don't know if there are other virtual reality kind of setups for uh, not necessarily Star Wars but other genres or themes as demos for people to experience but uh, man you know this is kind of like uh, like when I went on that avatar ride it sets the bar pretty high for what comes next so I hope I get blown away by another much better and bigger one at some point because this one, you know, the bar is set pretty high already. You can collect them all. You are a toy! Batteries not included. Just get those wonderful toys. Details on specially marked packages at participating stores. Is that the $6 million man's boss? It's Oscar Goldman. Why do you have that? That's worth a lot of money. That's much more valuable than Steve Austin. Action figures each sold separately. Hi, I'm Chucky, and I'm your friend to the end. Some are simply required. All your favorite Star Wars heroes and villains. I have three of each. One to display, one to open, and one just in case. All right, I like to talk about Star Wars action figure cases. And by this, I'm talking about the collector cases where you can actually store your figures in. They used to sell back in the Kenner days. I've told this story before, and I'm just going to repeat it again, that the original Star Wars case, and it actually looks like a case. It has the Star Wars art in the front. You snap open the case, and inside the case, you have two plastic trays where you can store all your figures. Now, here I'm talking about the original 24 action figures, which theoretically gives you room for the uh, the first 12, you know, the, the entire first wave of Star Wars figures. As a matter of fact, it even has space for Boba Fett. Now, what's funny is that in the original card that also came within that case that would show you the sample of how you would place the figures or how the figures fit within the case. They do include a rocket firing Boba Fett. I imagine it must be a prototype they built at the time. It looks nothing like the final product, but it was in there. And what's interesting about this case is that when I first heard of it, for some reason, and I, I don't know exactly how or why, I imagine it must have been, I saw it at the store, and in the store, 
I guess maybe if you flip it over to the other side, you see some pictures or something. I don't know, because usually the other side is just plain black. Maybe there was some kind of display that showed you what was inside. I'm not sure. But for some reason, I got it in my head that if I bought this little suitcase, all the figures were already inside. And the disappointment that you could imagine that I had when I got home and opened it, and it was empty. <laughs> But I had that case for a long time, and I used it just like everybody else to keep your figures in. Included inside, like I said, you did have that sheet, that little cardboard piece that showed you, you know, two-sided that showed you where all the figures would go, you know, where you would place them. Obviously, you could place them whenever you want. It doesn't really matter. But that was also a good, like, kind of like a checklist of what other figures were out there so you can, you know, know which ones to buy. So... The other thing that was included in the case is a sheet of stickers. And these stickers all had the name of the figure. So you would, you would unstick the sticker, put it on the, you know, on the edge of one of those little compartments so you know where the figures went. I had that case for a long time, lost it in part of the move that I always talk about. But at the same time, I've noticed a lot of people in the past have had uh, knockoff cases from around that time. And by that, I'm talking about another one that was called Space Case. At least that's how it's labeled. And it has different types of cover art. It has like generic robot space alien looking art in the front. There are different types available that I've seen out there. One of them, at least I know, was produced, I think, from Sears as part of your Sears and Robot toy products where you can keep your action figures no matter what they are. But in all reality, they're very well known as the knockoffs of Star Wars, you know, just so you could keep your action figures or whatever it is. Now, granted, yeah, people did keep whatever they wanted it in, but it's so unusual nowadays that some of these cases are so well known to be knockoffs, or at least to be considered knockoffs, that they're also vintage hard to find items it's amazing that's a whole other subject too is the whole bootleg knockoff industry of star wars especially the early you know kenner centric uh, knockoffs that's a whole other world that is just also as insanely expensive and even sometimes more than just regular figures but Yes, you do have that original case. The original case, like I mentioned, the sheet, you had the stickers. And then the other thing you could do with this case is that if you took off the two trays and turned them upside down, the opposite end of each of the trays had little foot pegs all over the place. So you could put your figures on the pegs and let them stand so they could kind of, you know, remain standing without falling down. So that is a way also of displaying your figures. I don't know how many people, you know, would want to have that long term, you know. Yes, it's good to have the figures standing up. You got to remember that back then, people just didn't sell action figure stands. You know, nowadays they sell them everywhere. Some of them are included with figures, you know, more modern figures. They've had all kinds of very basic and fancy kind of figure stands. I think G.I. Joe might have had figure stands. I'm not entirely sure. But I do remember that as far as I can tell, Star Wars never dealt with stands. The closest you ever had was these figure cases. And they also had other display things you could order. You know, you send some proofs of purchase and they would send you this piece of plastic with a backdrop and you can place your figures all over the plastic, you know, display area. But what separates those from these is that I'm talking about the actual carrying cases you could place all your figures and carry them around with you now granted back then you're only dealing with certain amount of figures so the case holds all your figures well by the time 
The Empire Strikes Back comes out, you know, collectors have a dilemma, and so do children. Where am I going to keep these other figures? Well, yeah, you know, the easy answer is yes, we could create a new case, just like the Star Wars one, and all you got to do is just change the art, and they did. They changed the art on the Star Wars case, the traditional Star Wars case, to create an Empire Strikes Back-centric kind of decor. And yeah, in that particular case, you know, you had all types of drawings having to do with Empire Strikes Back. The design, identical. It is the same, same, same design. The only thing that they changed was the color of the plastic. The tray here for Empire is tan colored. So they changed the color of the tray. Uh, now, there might be some variations out there, I'm not sure, but it does have the same functionality that the other one did, meaning uh, you flip it over, you can stand figures up, you know, all that kind of stuff. It comes with its own set of stickers, obviously, if now for Empire Strikes Back. Now, I've seen some pictures of some cases that are colored red, so I'm not entirely sure if there was variations in the colors with Empire or if they're getting them mixed up with future versions of them. Now, the thing that changes at this point is that because more and more figures are being produced, kids are basically running out of room as to where to keep these figures. So what they come up with next is a very interesting design in action figure cases, and that is the Darth Vader head case. Head case. Interesting. By that, I mean there's this plastic molded, let's say, uh, from the mid-chest up of Vader molded into a case that opens up, and then you have room for a lot of figures. Now, here you have a completely different design. No longer are you dealing with a 24 action figure space case. Now we're dealing with about 32 spaces, different sizes, different shapes, because it's, you've got to remember, you're not dealing with a big old rectangle anymore. Now it's a, it's the shape of Vader. So some of these little compartments are funny angular shapes. And it also has, which is really cool, they thought of this time, a compartment where you can put all the weapons in. So one of the, what normally would have been an action figure compartment, they put a little door there and you can keep, you know, all your weapons. Or if you don't have the weapons, you can put a figure there. So if you do store the weapons, you've got 31 compartments. If you don't store weapons in that little compartment, you have a 32nd spot there. So now, you know, the action figure line is growing as a collector or as, as a child, you might be running out of space. And you're expanding. Not only that, but maybe you're into troop building back then. Maybe you wanted to have multiple stormtroopers or multiple X-Wing pilots, you know. So you, you slowly are needing more and more room. And instead of just buying more of the 24 style cases, now they give you another option, you know, for something that looks a little different. Now, this particular case is really cool. Eventually, they remade it in the future, I believe, under under the future Kenner or the future Hasbro brand. They made one that's very similar to it. But if you really, really want to figure out that you have an authentic one, obviously, take a look in the back or in the or underneath. Take a look at the manufacture date. And then you can tell, you know, if it's an authentic, you know, Empire Strikes Back one. This is something that you do see a lot in collectors. They have that. But unfortunately, just like everything else, you run out of space once again. I believe this case might have also been offered with an exclusive figure at one point, because I do notice sometimes on eBay or on certain uh, Facebook pages that people are selling them and completely sealed package that might have, I could be wrong, but it might have an emperor inside, an emperor figure, or maybe a different kind of figure. So 
It's funny because if it is the Emperor, then that's more Return of the Jedi, so that's way, way later in the line. But I do remember seeing something about people going to the extent of X-raying the box to make sure that inside the box there is a sealed figure somewhere there as a as a free gift. So that's that's really, really weird stuff. So again, this is Empire Strikes Back. By the end of the Empire Strikes Back toy line, what they also started to sell, which is basically well known as the Rebel Transport ship. This is a ship that appeared at Empire Strikes Back. You see it in the Hoth evacuation sequences that they're loading it with boxes. I think you might even see it flying, you know, as the Iron Cannon is uh, trying to clear the way, you know, from the Star Destroyers and it, it passing through. And I remember this was a toy that at first, I think it was more of a toy, but I know it was also a carrying case. And the way that this particular toy worked is that, you know, it was basically kind of like the shape of a long pickle, let's say. Obviously, nowhere near the proportion it would have to be. Something that proportion would have to be 50 times bigger than what it is. But the way that they designed the toys that so you could have, you know, your characters are sitting in the front, you know, some kind of pilot, co-pilot situation, if you will. And then sprinkled all through the inside of that container, you know, that ship is standing slots where everybody just basically stands in the ship. So they're all kind of standing in the ship, and that's how you kind of keep them in place. Uh, now, how much space is there? It depends on how much stuff you put in there, and it depends on how you place them, because you're not placing them, you know, like flat down like you normally would, you know, with a with a carrying case. The carrying case is different because, you know, with, a, with the carrying cases, you know, you can, you can place them flat and you close it ni- nice and tight like a normal suitcase. But here, just by the nature of the design, they try to kind of, you know, kill two birds with one stone. So for these figures to fit, you're going to have to make them share little box compartments. You're going to have to do a lot of stuff like that. You know, once you put the cover, you know, on top of the ship, you don't see the figures anymore, except for whatever's on the cockpit. But yeah, it's a different way of selling a carrying case that blends into your collection as more of a ship than it does... A carrying case, you know, so that's kind of like, I think, where they were trying to go with it. The only problem, like I said, is that it being a ship, it also has other, you know, peripheral things, you know, it's like this thing on top and it's got these guns on the side. This is also the ship that comes, you know, with the free backpacks and I think gas masks for Empire. So aside from mailing away for those like I did, you could also get them in that manner. But yeah, a few people have that. And that's one I never had the chance to get because they just never you know, appeal to me, unfortunately, uh, until more recently, <laughs> the last, uh, I don't know how many years, it's the type of thing that every now and then I'm looking out for, I'm like, ooh, I wonder if there's a cheap one of those available, because, uh, you know, that's a pretty nice, cool-looking ship. So, I don't think that was very successful, <laughs> because they never made another ship slash carrying case again after Empire. By the time we get to Return of the Jedi, we once again do the... <laughs> The carrying case dance of going for that original one that I told you we started with, the regular little briefcase with the tooth sections. And here we do see more, I think, of the red color trays. You have your stickers are in there. You know, you get all the same kind of stuff. You flip them over. You can put the figures on top. The tray itself holds, you know, your usual 24 figures. You know, that kind of nuts what you're dealing with, more or less. But what they did now is they created a new giant head 
giant display carrying case. Then this time around, it's C-3PO. Similar to the Darth Vader one, instead of Darth Vader's picture, you have C-3PO in nice, shiny, chrome gold. And it has the same features as Darth Vader. You open him up, like a book, and you can store all the figures on one side or the other. You have a compartment for the weapons, just like before. So that's really cool, too. And that is another one that in the future, like I said, uh, Hasbro or Kenner, depending on uh, you know who was owning who at the time, they did remake it a little smaller than the original. But luckily, I was able to pick up one uh, because I never... You know, the Vader one that I own, I got way, way later through an eBay purchase. The C-3PO Chrome one that I have from Return of the Jedi, I also got way, way later through a convention purchase, which was really cheap. I think I got it for 12 bucks. You know, it's a little beat up, but you know what? It serves its purpose as far as I'm concerned. Now, C-3PO now has 38 compartments, so it has a little bit more than Darth Vader, but it also has an extra weapons compartment like Darth Vader also had. So you have basically more room because if you think about it, uh, the shape of the Darth Vader head, there's a lot more angular sections, the shoulders and the helmet. With C-3PO, it's a little more angular with the shoulders. So it gives you a little more real estate to put a couple more, you know, figures in, in those compartments. This is another, like I said, this is another really cool one. But this is the type of thing that by the time Return of the Jedi came out, I really don't remember seeing much of this around. This is kind of like I remember running into it after. After it was all said and done, after it was done collecting, you know, all these different things that all of a sudden pop out of nowhere. Same thing with these action figure collecting cases that are knockoffs. You know, there's so many different variations of them out there. You know, the art is all different. Some of them say Star World, (laughs) Space Case, you know, all kinds of ways of trying to make you think it's Star Wars, but it's really not. But you do run into them at, you know, garage sales and flea markets sometimes full of, you know, a mishmash of action figures. And yeah, some people just, you know, they purchase those instead. Now, the more rare items that I'm familiar with having to do with collector cases also come from Return of the Jedi once again. And this one is what they call the laser rifle carrying case. Talk about a different, different approach. Well, just like before, on Empire, they experimented with having you purchase a ship that interacts with figures that is really secretly a carrying case. This time around, they tried to say, all right, you know what? We're going to give you a weapon, like a a role-playing weapon that you can carry around. And the weapon opens up, again, like a book. And inside you have compartment for action figures, which is like, okay, well, they gave that a try. Uh, The weapon is basically a, a gray blaster, kind of long with a sight on top. Uh, handle and a second handle, you know, in the front, kind of like a ammo pack kind of thing. What happens with this thing is that along the sighting, the telescopic sighting, that's where the, the joint is, where it opens up. So you open it up and you have two halves to that thing. You have the space inside, I would say for, I don't know, maybe 20 figures. It's really hard to say how many you can squeeze in there because... The problem is that because of its very unusual dimensions and, sh- you know, the shape is just all over the place, that some figures will not fit on certain compartments and some will. You have space for weapons like you always do, but it's just kind of awkward. It's not very 
even in terms of the distribution of space. So, you know, some figures will go straight up, some will go sideways. You know, you got to remember, it's, it's like a, a blaster rifle. So it's got a very unusual shape. You know, the other problem that I imagine with something like this is that if you have this thing full of figures and you're playing it as a role-playing type of thing, this thing is going to be like making a lot of noise and it's going to make a lot of vibrating inside because of all these rattling figures inside. So you might beat the crap out of these figures, you know, just by banging against the plastic from all the movement of you carrying this like, you know, like a rifle, you know, if, if you're using it in that manner, that is. Now, I'm sure... Uh, a collector back then probably just used it as a collectible and probably didn't even open it. But I'm sure a lot of kids, they actually did fill it up with stuff and run around with them. So, yeah, this is a really unusual one. Definitely one I've never seen in the store. This was more of, like I said, it's an after everything was all said and done kind of item. Now, the absolute weirdest one that I can come up with here is one that I absolutely never saw in the market until much, much, much later on eBay, probably. I don't even know if I saw it in a convention. And again, this is Return of the Jedi. And they called it the Chewbacca Bandolier Strap. So, you know, you're thinking, oh, Bandolier Strap. That's, that's an interesting concept. So, yes, it is theoretically a <laughs> a cosplay, you know, a role-playing type of device. It's this thing that goes around your chest. And it has these little compartments, almost. Well, two of the compartments are actual boxes. And in those boxes, you could store action figure weapons. But the rest of the compartments are basically these foamy kind of clips where nothing comes with it, but the picture shows you action figures. So what you're supposed to do with this thing, which again, it's, it's really, really odd, is you place the figure in between the foam clips and you can fit 10 figures. So this is a very unusual thing, I think, that you're asking kids to do. And that is to not only transport your figures in a belt, which, you know, it's kind of like, oh, what if these things fall down? You know, what if you lose some of these pieces? You know, it's kind of weird. And, and it only holds 10. So I think it's just about the weirdest failed item that they could come up with. I don't know if they sold many of these. I don't know, you know, if they, if this was considered to be a success, but, it really, really takes the air out of any type of collector case to be able to bring all your figures with you. Now, remember, by this time, by the time of uh, Return of the Jedi, when it's all said and done, you're dealing with something like 92 figures. So there is no conceivable way that you can transport 92 figures in one Star Wars branded case. No, you will have multiple combinations of all the different cases that were out there. I have seen some pictures of the Vader case that I was telling you about, the Empire one, of a prototype one that they made in gold chrome, like C-3PO. And I'm not sure if they did that for the purpose of possibly selling a gold version, or maybe this was kind of like the prototype of what the C-3PO was going to look like if they went forward and did it, which they did. But, you know, those were pretty much your choices <laughs> in terms of... uh uh, how to keep the figures. Now, my particular situation, like I said, I only own the first little suitcase of Star Wars figures. I never bought the future ones. I currently do own, like I said, you know, a Vader head and a C-3PO head, you know, 30, 40 years later. And the main reason for that is that I got to a point with my figures where, now, keep in mind, I see this all the time done a hundred times better, but I got to the point where I wanted a custom-made case 
that I could put on my wall in my room. And I remember I somehow got my grandfather to build me this case. I think it was my grandfather. And it, it was basically a, a wall case about as thick as an action figure with enough shelf space so that I could have all the figures standing up one next to each other and a door with a piece of plastic, see-through plastic, so I can close it and keep them dust-free, whatever that means. Back then, it wasn't really airtight or anything like that. So that is how I eventually started keeping all my figures, was in a wall display. I have to do some research to see if I can ever find a picture of that, because, man, that would have been an interesting picture to have. Later on, again, fast forward 30, 40 years later, when I started reconstituting my collection, I started using these Ikea cases that I have. They're small Ikea cases, but I was able to fit the entire original Kenner collection in one of these five-tier systems. I forget the name of the specific <laughs> Ikea name for them. I used to keep uh, micro machines in those, but then I stopped doing the micro machines, and then finally one day I said, you know what, this is like almost the perfect size for Star Wars figures. So I even got them, you know, the little lights you put on top on certain sections so you can light it up. I have two of those cases. One of them has small accessories, small ships, figures with the accessories, you know, knickknacks, Star Wars, vintage knickknacks, and the other one has all the Star Wars original figures. So I kind of, like I said, did not pursue the cases past, you know, my first purchase once I had that wall case. Nowadays, in a lot of the Facebook groups I belong to, people are creating these amazing, amazing, amazing wall cases where the background colors match the color of the carded figures uh design it is just incredible the the, the you know they 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 have star wars on it and the the little runners the silver runners like the card itself run all along the edge of the cases you know there's some incredible designs out there nowadays you know lit you know all kinds of light on them it's amazing but you know, if you're ever in the market for trying to do any vintage carrying case collecting, these are your choices. Well, I hope you guys enjoy today's show. We started off with Secrets of the Empire, the virtual reality experience. You know, can't even really call it a ride because it's not really something you ride, but it's an experience. It is actually an experience. And if you've never done virtual reality before, you know, if you've done it at home with some kind of glassware while you're playing a video game, this is completely, completely different. And hopefully this is the beginning of something new that they're going to start you know, introducing and taking even further and further along because as far as I'm concerned, I am hooked. I absolutely loved it. The other thing we did today was talk about Star Wars cases, vintage cases, all those different Star Wars shapes of cases that you could carry around all your figures in. And man, were there a lot of figures and boy, did you need a lot of cases if you were going to be carrying all those things around. Cases is something that really you don't see anymore. And it's a great, great vintage item and not a really difficult one to collect at that. So on behalf of everybody here, thanks for listening. And we will see you soon here at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. From Kenner, it's the Star Wars mini action figure collector's case. Action figures sold separately. The collector's case holds 24 Star Wars action figures, like Stormtrooper, R5-D4, and Snaggletooth. It comes with two plastic trays to keep them in. Or you can turn the trays over and display all your figures in action poses. You can pack up Star Wars action figures and take them with you. The Star Wars mini action figure collector's case. Action figures each sold separately from Kenner.
If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2018. This broadcast is part of the IC Robots radio network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long.